We're leading the conversation now with Professor Richard Walls, Head of Fire Engineering Research Unit at the Stellenbosch University. Now, efforts are underway to help thousands of people left destitute following a fire at the Maspumelele informal settlement near Fishhook in Cape Town. The fire, which broke out on Thursday, destroyed more than 1,000 shacks. The problem of shack fires has been with us for many years. So we're using this opportunity now to look at how else this problem can be solved and to help us navigate uh, this issue uh, the professor is joining us good morning professor walls and thanks for making time good morning and good morning to your listeners good to be here uh, so a thousand shacks uh, we know were destroyed in the blaze uh, there were no injuries reported however what's happened though so f- in terms of the affected residents where are they well immediately what happens it, it'll depend on each area but I mean, now it's it's a fight for survival for them. So they will be trying to salvage any materials they can get and now trying to rebuild. And in many of these fires, within 24, 48, 72 hours, you see a lot of homes popping up quite rapidly. Now, with the, from what I can see is with recent national um, government budget cuts, they aren't issuing the disaster relief kits with sort of basic construction materials. So normally those get rolled out by the city and then people start rebuilding with those quite quickly. So at this stage, I think people, whatever they can get hold of, they'll be using. And then various NGOs and organizations are um, stepping in to help normally. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of uh, Cape Town Mayor Dan Plato indicating that this would be declared a local disaster, what does it mean when, when they're saying we're declaring this a local disaster? Well, they need to be able to access um, different funding mechanisms to be able to supply resources. And uh, there are various ways. I'm not familiar with all the sort of technical policies of how the uh, government works intimately. But uh, they need to access certain funding. And so for that to be available, they need to declare it a a disaster. And then they can start certain processes underway. My only concern is I don't know how long that will take. I mean, I'm glad they're doing it to try to provide what they can, but it probably is going to mean there's a bit of a delay before resources are provided. Mm, It's such a horrible time also for people to be experiencing this uh, right now, you know. So let's talk about the causes of uh, the quick spreading of fires. We know this has been an issue or problem for many years. What causes this, the, the quick spreading of fires? There are a lot of things that are present in in informal settlements that are a major problem. Firstly, just the the way people's homes are built. You've got a lot of easily ignitable. So one of the things is first, not just how fast they burn, it's how easily they ignite. And when you've got thin products, um, plastics, papers, cardboard, often people, you know, have newspaper, they'll shove into holes as draft stoppers. And you just need that first ignition. And then from there, it pulls through into the rest of the dwelling. Any hole, I mean, any hole in the wall, the, the fire will slip through, ignite the curtains, the carpets, the beds, whatever it is. And then soon the entire dwelling is, is ablaze. And then from that, it quickly spreads from one to another. And the problem is the dwellings are just too dense. It is so difficult to either get in there and put it out, to get your stuff out, to evacuate, whatever's happening. And Masipumalele is particularly dense. Masipumalele and Izamo Yetu. I mean, once a fire gets going there, it is just so hard to stop because the the dwellings on top of each other. You maybe have a meter wide and in the best place, two, three meter wide alleys and the the flames can um, cross that quite rapidly. And you'll see in the videos of of the Massey fire, there were quite strong winds blowing and that then it makes it even worse because once the wind gets, gets started... 
then the, the fire jumps um, openings and, and spaces between dwellings very quickly. Mm. Uh, we're going to continue our chat. We just need to take a short uh, break. Talking to Professor Richard Walls, Head of Fire Engineering Research Unit at the Stellenbosch University. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. We're talking about the problem of shack fires, and this has been with us for many years. And we're asking how we can solve uh, this uh, problem, and uh, we're navigating just the issue in general with Professor Richard Walls, the head of Fire Engineering Research Unit at the Stellenbosch University. Professor Walls, you did research on this uh, recently. In terms of, you know, shack dwellers, are they educated in, in your, you know, in what has come up in your study or research? Are they educated in terms of how to make sure that they stay safe and uh, prevent uh, shack fires? Uh, well, yes and no. It depends on what you mean. I mean, firstly, the, the people in informal settlements are really doing the best they can. And one thing we must appreciate is fire may be number five on their list of priorities. They're trying to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. They're trying to uh, keep their family safe from muggers and gangsters and all sorts of stuff. They might have medical problems, school issues, etc., etc. So, with the limited resources they have, they, they, they stretch even further to try to address those things, and then fires often way down the list in trying to, to deal with things. There are ways and means in which uh, fire safety can be improved, and definitely the, the community could be involved. And I think the, the sort of key couple of things that we can start looking at is firstly that a lot of people simply don't know the fire brigade number. In most areas, it's a 10-digit number that you should be dialing, depending on, on where you are. For instance, Cape Town 021 And a lot of people first phone the police. The police then send out a vehicle. Then the, the police relay it to the fire brigade. In that time, you may have lost 30 or 40 dwellings, depending mm. on how fast the fires move. So, uh, that's one of the things, I think, the key things we need to get through to community members, because I think the average person on the street, I mean, anyway, it doesn't matter where you're talking about, poor or rich, but most people don't know the, the fire brigade number. Hopefully we'll have our national um, single number for emergencies soon. And then there are various other things. There are ways and means of, of improving fire risk in, in homes. We've actually just published a book on this recently. We'll be distributing that early next year. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not that there's one magic quick fix. It's a lot of things that have to work together and communities to be involved, have water available, have buckets available, have early detection systems, etc. Etc., and then we can reduce the risk. The, the dwellings are too tightly packed and too combustible to ever get rid of the risk altogether and, and this rapid fire spread rates. All right. I mean, and it does speak to a housing issue, but we know there will be definitely challenges in, in making sure that that's sorted for every single South African. So, in the meantime, uh, what can communities do to assist? Well, there, there are various things we can, can look at. Firstly, as I said, where possible, just communicate the fire brigade number. In a case of emergency, when a fire breaks out, there are certain things that the the community can do. You know, close your doors, pull curtains, everything off the wall, because often it's just the things on the perimeter that ignite. So if you can pull all the combustible stuff and put it into the room, keep your doors closed, you've got a a lower risk, especially plastics on the outside. Swap out, if you can, those combustible draft stoppers, the newspaper that's, that's shoved into openings. Have buckets available. 
Um, I mean, if communities where possible, it's also it's, it can be a drowning hazard for little ones. But as many sort of 20 liter or 10 liter, whatever it is, I mean, if you're going to use it for your washing water, just leave it there at night, a couple of extra buckets. And then keep an eye on the, the high-risk people, normally your young single males, but uh, who often start the fires at 2 a.m. when they come home from wherever and knock over uh, a stove. So to look at those things, to look at lower-risk um energy supplies and electrical supplies. So there's, it's a problem is a whole wide variety of things that need to be looked at. Unfortunately, we need more space between dwellings. That's, that's key, but that is a whole difficult challenge on its own mm. to try free up space and then move people to other areas. And then even if we create some space, then dwellings may pop up there three months, six months, a year from now. Mm. And yeah, we, we're back to where we are with square one. All right, well, let's leave it there for now. Uh, Professor, thanks again for your time this morning. It's a pleasure. Have a good day. Thanks, uh, you too. Professor Richard Walls, Head of Fire Engineering Research Unit at the Stellenbosch University, talking to us about the problem of uh, shack fires. So let's play a song now for you before we get to the top of the hour to get our next uh, news update.